Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. No Daniel this week, but this week we're going to go back into First and Second Thessalonians. We've have a we've had a sermon series for the last five or six weeks called Deliverance, and the reason we call it Deliverance is out of uh, First uh, Chapter One, Verse Ten, that says that the Lord uh, Jesus Christ at His coming will deliver us, deliver us from the wrath to come. And remember, I've been reminding you that as we walk through the book of First uh, and Second Thessalonians, that this is a prophetic book that Paul chose in his very first letter to his very first church, was the church of Thessalonia, uh, to be able to include in it a lot of prophecy. And you won't be, if you like prophecy, you won't be disappointed today because we're in the second half of chapter four and that is the biggie. That's the big prophecy. That's the, it's called the rapture of the church. So we're going to talk about it a little bit today. But you know, it's interesting when you take a look at prophecy, all of the Old Testament prophets, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah, um, they new in part. And what I've learned about prophecy, and especially teaching prophecy for the last 20 years, is I've come to realize that the, the, these prophets understood only in part, and it was progressive. So there, there were things that the Lord revealed to Jeremiah, for example, that he did not reveal to Daniel. We have the privilege of being able to read them both, and we get more revelation. In the New Testament, not only do we have all of the writings of Paul, and all of these are prophetic as well. But we also have the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. The book of Revelation is the daddy of them all, the big daddy of them all. It's all one prophecy, and it all speaks to the end of the, end of the ages. So today, we'll be talking about the most significant prophetic event spoken by Jesus and the apostles. You'll still notice that's number one on your, on your bulletin. It's the most significant prophetic event. It was spoken of by Jesus in the Gospels. It was spoken of by every single book of the New Testament. Interestingly, it was a mystery that was not revealed to the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets didn't see this period we call the Age of Grace, this church period. The apostles even at, even at the ascension of Jesus Christ, we're still waiting for Jesus to establish the kingdom. The Old Testament prophets spoke of a coming kingdom when the Garden of Eden would basically be restored. And they were looking forward to that. And they were asking Jesus as he was, just before he ascended into heaven. This is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the 40 days that they spent with him. They're still waiting for Jesus to establish the kingdom. And Jesus said, it's not for you. It's not for you. Then he gave them the great commandment and the great commission. So this age of grace, the last 2,000 years, was unknown to the Old Testament prophets. It was hinted at from time to time, but we don't see it clearly except in the rearview mirror. But today we see again this, this prophetic event that's spoken of by, 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 uh, by the Apostle Paul. Um, now, this message today is, is called Caught Up Together. Caught Up Together, and it's 1 Thessalonians verses 13 through 18. Now, I'll tell, you the, I'll tell you the bottom line. The bottom line, this word caught up together in the Greek is one word. The word is harpazo, harpazo. And it not only means to be caught up together, it can be also translated as to be snatched, to be suddenly removed, 
to be gathered together. That's, that's what it's called. There, in, the, um, in, in the English Bible, we call it being caught up together. Now, the, the teaching we're talking about today often is just referred to as the rapture of the church. In, in your churches, did you hear, did you, were you taught before the rapture of the church? Some of you were, some of you were not. Depends on what church you went to. I find that some churches talk about it often. Some churches don't talk about it at all. And some churches are critical of this teaching because they say, well, now, Pastor Ken, the word rapture's not even in the Bible. Not even the Bible. Well, it depends on what Bible you have. Because when Jerome, St. Jerome, translated the Bible in the 4th century, it was like 390 A.D., when he translated the Bible from, from Greek and Hebrew into Latin, the word that he used with his harpazo, he translated it as rapturo. Rapturo, it's a word where we get rapture. So for 1,400 years, the word rapture was in the Bible. It was in this four, first chapter of Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It was there. Um, it isn't in today's because it's called caught up together. So with that, let's go ahead and get right into the scripture verses, and then we'll kind of unpack them as we go, kind of take them slowly. For some of you, you've never been taught prophecy, even if you've come to my, 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 my Sunday school, my classes on Wednesday, um, and some of you have. So I'm going to have to kind of thread the needle here so that I don't lose some of you, but I give enough information to keep the rest of you interested. So let's just go on to the very first verse. Verse 13, it says this. It says, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For, I say, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That's the, that's the sermon title today, caught up together, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So maybe the best place to start is with that very last phrase. Comfort one another with these words. When we talk about Bible prophecy, sometimes people have, a, have, a, have, a, have an ability to get nervous and get very anxious, okay? We're talking about the, what we know as the end of the age. Now, actually, there's another thousand years after this, but it's the end of the age, and people get a little bit nervous. But Paul is writing this because he doesn't want people to be anxious. He wants people to be comforted. He wants them to know that God has a plan. God has a plan from the very, very beginning. Now, the return of Jesus Christ, and that's what we're talking about, the return of Jesus Christ is the cardinal truth of Christianity. It's the center pin. It's the, essentially the ultimate truth when you think of it. While many Christians are like these Thessalonians, they're unfortunately ignorant of the most important of all doctrines, the entire of the New Testament, beginning with the Gospels, through the Acts of the Apostles, all the way through all of the Epistles, culminating with the book of Revelation, consummates with Christ coming. Christ's second coming is the cardinal event. Now, you see, this is, this is important because it's the end of the story. And you notice on your notes, I say, what good is a story without a good ending? 
every good story has a <coughs> great ending. So the idea is, what good is a story without the ending? Imagine, for example, <coughs> the storyline of Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, if you take a look at Jurassic Park, without the ultimate rescue of the dinosaurs, right? The, um, Star Wars without the defeat of the Death Star. A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens' story, right? We see every Christmas. What, would, what good would that story be without Tiny Tim being put on the shoulders of Ebenezer Scrooge? You need the redemption of Ebenezer in order to make the story that Charles Dickens wrote make any sense. Beauty and the Beast without Belle finally being married to the prince. You need a good ending. And the Lord has provided a great ending. Right from the very beginning of the scriptures, we see that there was Adam and Eve. And they were set up in the Garden of Eden. And it was supposed to be perfect. But sin crept into the Garden of Eden, right? And because they sinned, the earth was cursed. But right from the very beginning, God promised that there would be a restoration at some time in the future. The Old Testament prophets knew it in part, but they didn't know it perfectly. But they knew it in part. Now, to help us understand this, we have to go back to what Jesus actually said to the apostles just prior to his crucifixion. Go back to John 14. So let me read it to you, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. <clears throat> In John 14, verse 1, Jesus says, or verse 14, it says, verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you will know the way. So the apostles, when they heard this, like you, it sounded familiar, right? You've heard those verses before. Well, it sounds familiar to you because you've heard these verses. These verses are often spoken of at, 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 a, at, a, at a funeral, at a, a celebration of some kind. It talks about worry, so we hear these verses. Now, the Galilean disciples that were with Jesus, remember most of the, 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 of the 12 apostles, 10 of them, or 9 or 10 of them, were from Galilee. And in Galilee, they understood these words to be the idea of a bridegroom preparing a place for the bride. They heard, when Jesus told this story, the first thing they, sound, they thought of, this sounds a lot like a marriage ceremony of what a bridegroom does to his bride. You see, after the, uh, after the engagement period, after they, uh, a bride, a, a young man and a young woman would get engaged, families would arrange it, the bridegroom would go off to his father's house and would start preparing a place for them to live. And after they would prepare this place, eventually he would come back and receive his bride. They would have this huge ceremony. He'd bring the bride back along with most of the town, back to the father's house. They'd have a big party, and, then, and the marriage would begin. So when Jesus told this story, the apostles said, this sounds awfully familiar. It sounds a lot like a bridegroom and a bride. And that's the understanding, I believe, that Jesus wants us to have. And it also rings true for these Thessalonians. When Jesus tells them, I'm going to tell you something that you didn't know before. You might have been ignorant before, but I want to fill you in on one of these details, and that is when the Lord will return. You see, the Thessalonians were told by Paul that Jesus would come back. They were looking forward to the second coming. For the last 2,000 years, the church has been, been told to be ready that Jesus can come back at any moment. In fact, this is the next event. There's nothing that has to happen before, before the Lord comes back for the church. 
since the time of the apostles. Now, there's one thing that's a very key element, and that is the establishment of Israel. But remember, Israel was established in May 4, on May 14, 1948, in a day. So it only takes a day for the Lord to establish Israel. That's all it takes. So at any given time, the Lord could come back. However, for those of us that now we look in our rearview mirror and we remember that Israel was established in 1948, we know that the end is much closer today than it ever has been in the past. So Jesus says, let you, not your hearts be troubled. Paul is basically saying, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something that you've been ignorant about before. But Paul calls this something that is supposed to give us encouragement. In fact, another place in the scripture, Paul calls this the blessed hope. In verse 14, in John 14, Jesus says that he will go to prepare a place for us and then come again. It's very familiar to what we see here in this Galilean wedding. You know, when Carol and I lived in Mexico, one of the things I observed, and for those of you that lived in third world countries, maybe you've seen this as well. When I was driving through Mexico, the streets of Mexico City, it looked like many of the houses were unfinished. And it looked like all of the, uh, these houses were still unfinished because they had rebar. You know what rebar is? These bars sticking up through the roof. And it's like, these houses must have just been done. And I was told, no, they've actually been there for a long time. But in Mexico, the custom is, is that often the family will expand when one of the sons is old enough to take a wife. And when the son takes a wife, what they'll do is they'll add another story on the house. And the husband and the bride, the bride and the groom, will be able to move into the to the house. And I thought, isn't that amazing? That's exactly what we know in scripture happened back in Galilee. And here it is 2,000 years later, and it's still going on in many, many parts of the world. So Paul says this. Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. So let's talk about that real quick. There's two parts in here I want to mention. Number one, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now remember, ignorant doesn't, isn't a slam. It doesn't mean that you're stupid. It means you haven't been told. You're ignorant of certain things until you're told certain things. And the people had not been told that. Paul told them that the Lord was coming back. And obviously they were a little concerned. Because some had obviously died. They were still trying to figure out whether the people had died, had missed it. Or whether they had received it and they had missed it. They weren't quite sure. So Paul was filling them in on what the Lord had told him about the second coming. So he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then he says, for those who have fallen asleep. Now, what's interesting is that there's some churches that have taken this as a doctrine that people, when they die, fall asleep and they stay asleep until the Lord comes back. That's called soul sleep. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that there's a consciousness that's there. But I like this idea of sleeping. When you think about sleeping, if you've ever had an injury, if you've ever been to the hospital, I mean, who hasn't, right? Who hasn't been to the hospital? Who hasn't had an injury of some kind? And you're kind of laying in bed, and what you're doing is you're hoping you fall asleep, right? And the reason you hope you fall asleep is because the pain is gone. The pain is gone. The suffering is gone. The anxiety is gone. Whatever you've been thinking about, eventually, if you fall asleep, all of it dissipates. It goes away until you wake again. And I like that. I like that idea of, of sleeping. Um, it's actually the body that's asleep, 
The soul is with the Lord. The spirit is with the Lord, but the body's asleep. And I like the idea that the, the body is sleeping until the Lord comes back because there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. And, that's, and that's, a, that's a hope for us. Then Paul says this. He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Now Paul's putting a qualifier in here. At the second coming, this second coming that we're talking about, which is called the rapture of the church, this second coming that's spoken of here is for the church. It's not an event that is for everybody. And that's what's interesting. If we take a look at the scriptures that talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ, we can separate the ones that kind of refer to this event versus the ones that refer to the other event because they're really two different things. They're described in different ways. For example, the prophet Daniel and prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel spoke of the second coming and they spoke of Jesus returning to the Mount of Olives and vanquishing the enemies, okay, and ruling and reigning. Well, that's not what this event is. This is a different event. This is more like the Galilean wedding. This is the bridegroom coming back for the bride. This is a little bit different than the other event. Notice how Paul speaks again, those who have fallen asleep. I, I love that, even though it's a euphemism, again, I love the idea that these are people that are wake, woken from their sleep. And what's interesting is the Lord is going to wake those that have died hundreds if not thousands of years before. See, the Lord can do that. The Lord, regardless of the dust that, uh, that, your body, that, that, that remains for your body, the Lord can waken those and all of a sudden that person can be risen again. You know, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, but it was only after four days. Lazarus was still there. When the Lord comes back, those that have died in Christ will be risen again, regardless of where they are, regardless of what their body has happened. The Lord is able to reconstitute that. For those of us that know a little bit now in the 21st century about DNA, we understand a little bit. The idea is that all we need is a chain of DNA, and we can make up the whole body, right, supposedly. God can do it. God is the one that invented it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this, Now he who has prepared for us the very thing is God, who has also given us a spirit of as a guarantee. So this we are confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So Paul is putting an end. There's no, there's no reason to understand that those that are sleeping in Christ are unconscious, that are not available. No, they're with the Lord. So let's go on, verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Now notice, this is not Paul's opinion, okay? You could ask me my opinion about the second coming. You know, Pastor Ken, do you think the Lord's going to come back in the next few years? Well, I could give you my opinion, but my opinion is meaningless. The only thing that matters is what the Lord reveals. Paul is basically saying, this is the word of the Lord. All of the scripture that Paul wrote is scripture. You can take it to the bank. It's all the word of the Lord. Every now and then, there's, this is one of the instances, Paul will remind the reader that what he's telling them is a direct revelation from God. This is not Paul's opinion. But, uh, the, uh, Lord, uh, the, uh, Paul says this, verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
So what kind of shout is this? Well, it's described, okay, it's not necessarily an archangel, it's described as an, like a shout of an archangel and the trumpet of God. This is an event that you're going to hear, you're going to experience. The, the Thessalonians were concerned that somehow maybe the Lord returned and they missed it, okay? You're not going to miss this. Those that are dead as well as those that are alive at the time, any believer in Christ will experience this and they will not miss it. It's described as a shout, a voice, a trumpet, and we will be caught up together, okay? Now, this is not what some people refer to as a, a silent snatching away or a silent rapture or a silent second coming. There's nothing silent about this at all. It talks about, it talks about with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. That is not quiet, okay? That sounds like my house with my dog and my grandkids running around, okay? It's, it's noisy. It's noisy. Let's go on. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, that's a word again, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now again, this is our key verse. This is the verse today that we're talking about. It's, it's being caught up together. The idea is that we're reconstituted in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's what Paul says. Paul says this will happen in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, okay? That the incorruptible is turned into, uh, the, the corruptible is turned into the incorruptible. We are changed. All of a sudden we become something we weren't before. At the moment of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was reconstituted, okay? All of a sudden his dead body came to life. He started to breathe. He started to act. We know that the body of Christ after the resurrection was able to eat. He was able to talk. He was able to be recognized. He was in his resurrected body. That's the body that we're looking forward to. That's the body we're going to have. That's the body that we receive at the rapture of the church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Now remember, this teaching is to bring us comfort to bring us comfort. And I started this by saying that some of you have probably heard this teaching before and some of you have not. And as a pastor, it's always difficult trying to figure out how much we, we give you. It's, you don't want to be able to ever try to hear the expression drinking from a fire hose, right? You don't want to try to get so much that it just knocks you over. Well, at the risk of giving you too much, I do want to clarify exactly when this event occurs. So right now, we know that we are what's called in the church age. This is something that the Old Testament prophets knew nothing about. They were expecting that the Messiah would come, and that Messiah would come and be able to reign on the throne of David, and to be able to reign and to rule, and then Isaiah says that the lion will lay down with the lamb, and the young boy will play with adders and the snake, and that people will die, you know, at 100 years old, will be considered a child. All of these Old Testament prophecies about the kingdom age, and they were expecting it to happen immediately. Well, we have a rearview mirror. We're looking back at 2,000 years, and things haven't changed much, except that we have the growth of the church. This is called the church age, the age of grace. We are now saved by, by, uh, by grace through faith, okay, it's not of works, this is the church age. This is that time prior to Jesus' return. And things have been going along pretty well, but things are starting to heat up. Remember Jesus in Matthew 24 said, 
that we will see these things happening, that all of a sudden that nations will be a, an, in perplexity, that all of a sudden Israel will be a, a cup of, of, of trembling for the nations, that things will start happening, we'll see earthquakes and we'll see all kinds of wars and rumors of wars. So there's going to be a generation that sees some of these things happening. And then what happens is this, what Paul's saying, is the very next event is the rapture of the church. That's the next event that happens. Jesus returns as a bridegroom returning for his bride. We that are alive will join those that have already died. We're all going to, they, they don't precede us. We all rise into heaven at the same time. It's called the rapture of the church. And Jesus says we'll always be with him and always be with the Father in the Father's house. After that, we have what's called a tribulation. Now, I know the tribulation is one of those things that people aren't quite sure exactly what happens, but I think the Bible is actually very, very clear on it. Um, the prophet, the prophet uh, 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 Daniel talks about the 70th week. It's a one week of years. It's seven years. And if you read the book of Revelation, it gets very, very specific. It says that a half of it is exactly time, times, and half a time or three and a half years. It even specifies the number of days, which comes down to exactly three and a half years. So it's a very specific time. And the time of tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble. The time of, of the tribulation is never designed for the church. The time of, of, of Jacob's trouble is for Israel. It's to turn Israel back to the Lord. For those of you that know your history, going back to the 1940s, the people that founded the nation of Israel, People that you know, like uh, David, uh, David Ben Joseph and uh, Ben, ben Gurren and uh, Menachem Begin and um, so, uh, um, Golda Meir. Some of these people that are the founders of Israel, if you, if you read their notes and stuff like that, they were Jewish, but they actually were atheist. They didn't believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were Jewish by tradition, but they would be more like atheists. Well, unfortunately today, much of Israel still doesn't really know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are Jewish by tradition. Okay, they may even go to the temple. They may even use the Passover, but many of them do not really believe in God. The time of the, the tribulation is to bring Israel back to God. In fact, at that time, Paul says that all of Israel at the end will be saved. All of Israel will be saved. Now, at the end of the, at the seven years, after the seven years, we see the second coming of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to go into any length on that. That's drinking from a fire hose. But it goes on. After that, I just put the last two. After that, we have the kingdom age. All of the age that's described by the Old Testament prophets. This is where the lion lays down with the lamb. This is when Israel is restored, when the boundaries of Israel actually are actually bigger than they are during Solomon's time. We have this wonderful kingdom age, which lasts for a thousand years. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll find in chapter 21, at the end of the thousand years, okay, at the end of the thousand years, um, the Lord comes back. I mean, the Lord reconstitutes the heaven and the earth. John says he sees a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Okay, and there's no longer any sun and no longer any moon and no longer any temple. Things change. We don't know much about that time because we don't really need to know. We don't need to know much about that time. But at the end, there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Now, I put this slide up to point to the very beginning, which is the church age. We are presently in the church age, and the very next event that we're looking forward to is the second coming of Jesus Christ in the clouds, which is called the rapture of the church. Paul ends by saying, therefore, comfort one another with these words. The rapture of the church is when we are all caught up together to be with the Lord. We'll no longer have a sin nature. We'll be with God's presence forever. 
Matthew 24 says, no one knows the day or the hour, but it will come to pass. As Israel is back in the land, we can easily see that all the pieces are beginning to fall into place. We easily could be the generation that sees all of this begin to happen. Paul reveals this mystery of the rapture to the people of Thessalonia. He told them he was with, when he was with them that the Lord would return. He's filling in the blanks. Um, this is an amazing story, but yet true. Going back to the very first comment I had today is, is this is the most amazing, most significant prophetic event spoken of by Jesus. It's a mystery that was not revealed to the Old Testament prophets. Along with revelation, it provides clarity clarity on the end of time spoken of by Daniel, by Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Isaiah. It's amazing, yet true. Therefore, we comfort each other with these words, and we close with the words, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.